All right, friends, last week we kicked off our new sermon series that is for this Easter season and beyond, and it really is fueled by a question that's rising out of us as we think about this year that we've been living through. As we look around, we ask this question, is this all headed anywhere? And is this anywhere that it's headed, is it any good? So let's review a bit of what we said about this last week. That the Jesus story says, yes, it is headed somewhere and it is good. The biblical narrative describes it as heaven and earth becoming one. On earth as in heaven. It's what we pray for in the, in the Lord's prayer. And we, humanity, we actually have a unique role to play in this whole heaven and earth becoming one thing. We see it from the very beginning as God entrusts Adam and Eve to work and care for the Garden of Eden. To work and care for it. That's what, that's what the text says. And that Hebrew word for work is avad. It's a double entendre, so it has two meanings, and both are activated here in this context. It means work, but it also means to worship. Adam and Eve avad. They work and worship. As the biblical story unfolds, like Eden, there are these unique places where heaven and earth overlap. Like in the temple and with the tabernacle, the people who live and work in these heaven and earth overlapping places, they're priests. Priests hold this middle space where divine and human overlap in a person. So Jesus then comes and announces the kingdom of God, that heaven and earth are becoming one, and he is that royal priest of this new creation where heaven and earth are overlapping. Jesus' resurrection and ascension then are about how he is now working through a royal priesthood that he formed, and this royal priesthood is called the people of Jesus His body taking form on earth in this priesthood that holds the space where heaven and earth meet now. And guess who that is? Yeah, that's right. It's us, divine and human overlapping in us as we avod, doing our work and our worship in the places where we are now as all this heads somewhere good new creation, heaven and earth becoming one. So this season at Salt House, we press into this. We're exploring why worship, remembering how we were made for this. It's fitting that the Hebrew word for work is also worship because to worship, it means to ascribe honor and significance to someone or something which is what we do in our work. Spending our energies and our time and giving of ourselves, our work is also how we worship. And that which we honor over time, it shapes us, right? We're made for worship and we are made by it. So each Sunday, we're exploring then one piece of what we do in worship, naming how We are practicing here the avad, the work and worship we will do in the world. So this is our training ground, our training time, our school of love, as we call it. Worship here is our practice at worshiping everywhere. So here now, the invitation again into your avad. So take a deep breath and listen. Lean in as we learn together in this season where in-person worship is just about to start, but we lean in together into why it is that we worship. So for our sermon today, we get to ask the question together, why sing? 
why sing? And our preacher has been making music and leading worship in the church for 30 years. So in addition to singing, he's proficient in guitar, bass guitar, piano, dabbles in the drums. He used to play the euphonium, which looks like a small tuba. He's a songwriter. We actually regularly sing his songs here at Salt House. He's performed in in front of crowds of thousands. He's uh, been in the studio to play on recordings uh, and to sing on recordings. He majored in music and even has a master's degree in worship. And through this past year, uh, he's further developed his dynamic skills for video editing and production, live streaming, and curating digital content to be one of the best around. So you bet we wanted to hear from him in this series on why worship. He is so good at what he does and has so much experience and education in this thing that we do every Sunday. And the amazing thing is that we actually get to hear from him every Sunday because I'm talking about our own Jason Bendixson. But my friends, today he's putting down his guitar and takes some time to sermonate with us and let us come close and hear some of the brilliant things he knows about what God does in us and through us when we sing. So friends, I'm thrilled. Let's welcome to our Salt House microphone, one who will hate that I said all these beautifully true things about him, the fantastically overqualified, one of my favorite humans on the planet, Mr. Jason Bendixson. Well, that was quite an introduction. Thank you, Sarah. And good morning to you, Salt House, and for anybody who's tuning in online, either now in this moment or later, if you're watching later, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. We hope this time together blesses you immensely. So I'm here to speak about why sing. It's a big topic, and I've got literally thousands and thousands of thoughts about this and about how worship forms us and praises God and why we do it. And so this sermon is going to last four days. Don't forget to hydrate. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I I do want to start by sharing, though, some of my story. And so here we go. I was born into a churchy family, and some of my earliest memories, besides exploring the great outdoors in my backyard in Montana, were of uh, the church nursery, of crawling around under the pews, uh, looking for the pencils that people dropped, um, sneaking up into the balcony and exploring the pipe organ, like getting back in there and looking at all the stuff, and like sneaking down to the kitchen and stealing sugar cubes. I'm sure that I'm not giving any kids any good ideas here right now, I'm sure. Anyway, I was not entirely aware of what was going on kind of at the church. For me, it was just kind of a playground. But I naturally fell into the rhythm of the culture and the liturgy and the music and all of those things that were happening. As I got older, that green hymnal that was found in the pews would sit in my lap through the church services, and I would use it as a hard surface to, you know, color on the coloring pages or doodle on the back of the attendance cards. And I was surrounded by the music of the late 70s and early 80s Lutheran worship. And I can still recall much of the liturgy from memory now. In about fourth grade, I started getting interested in music. And I picked up one of the acoustic guitars that my grandfather had built. 
by hand, and I clumsily fingered a D chord, and I desperately tried to play along with the song Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi, which I'd heard my older brother playing in his room. And I learned uh, like a boogie-woogie bass line, and I discovered how to play the riff from La Bamba, and I was, I was hooked. On Confirmation Sunday, I was in fifth grade, and my older brother, who'd been playing bass with my dad at the church, was getting confirmed that Sunday. So my dad needed a substitute bass player to take his spot. So he strapped this big, old, heavy, solid oak electric bass around me, which weighed more than I did, and showed me a few notes and where to play them, and we went into it, and I played music in the church for the first time. To my memory, I did not do a very great job, but you know, that didn't matter to my dad. You see, I think he knew something was about to happen. And that thing was that there was a spark that ignited a lifelong affection for making music in the church as an act of worship in me. I became obsessed with music and I devoted hours and hours of my free time to figuring it out. In my middle school years, I'd arrive home after school, I'd grab one of the homemade cookies out of our pantry and then hang out in the kitchen and watch Star Trek The Next Generation. And then I'd wander off to my bedroom where I had my boom box and my cassette tapes and I'd throw them in and I'd grab my bass and I'd sit there and I'd listen to the music, I'd absorb it and I would learn to play along and I'd learn the rhythms of the songs and the form and all the things that went along with just playing music. And rock and roll was my thing. So it was listening to like Poison and uh, Van Halen and Bon Jovi and Extreme and like these like heavy hitting rock and roll bands. I just like, like that music just soaked into my soul. And I learned by listening and listening and listening and trying. And like reading music came like later for me. It was a skill I had to learn later. But my ears were this window into the world of wonder. Throughout my teen years, I became involved in leading music at my home congregation alongside my dad and my brothers. And I played bass in my dad's singing group uh, called AM and FM, which traveled around the Northwest region for years. I got to lead music with many talented folks for some large Lutheran youth gatherings around the country in the 1990s. And then from 2001 to 2004, I served as a contemporary worship leader at University Place Presbyterian Church near Tacoma. And during that time, I did a bunch of recording projects with my brothers and studio work and wedding gigs and worked with other artists in Seattle and Tacoma. And I also led music with my brothers for an evening service called The Cross at Trinity Lutheran Church near PLU. Incidentally, this is also when I met Sarah and we started dating. When we got married, Sarah was in seminary in the Bay Area, and so When I moved down there, I got a job at St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Walnut Creek, California. I served there for 10 years in a couple of different music director roles. And I wrote music and I arranged music for the church. I collaborated with other musicians and worship leaders. And I helped produce a couple of albums for friends and helped organize annual events like a valley-wide Monday Thursday service and an event called Songs from the Valley, which was... um, an event that featured regional church talents that was literally like just a fun way to do like live music in the church. 
there were so many other moments in between where simply making music, usually with others, has been the most exquisite joy of my life. And it continues to be. And I have so many mentors and teachers and encouragers and guides to thank for this. So thanks for listening to that little part of my story. All right, so now let's talk about singing. Why do you sing? Where do you sing and and when do you sing? Who do you sing with or for? Are there particular moments when singing just seems to make sense for you? So feel free to like add your thoughts or your comments in the feed here if you want to do that. I'd love to read those later. I'm not going to read them now, but I'd love to see them. But I also have a, a, a confession to make. While I'm here to speak about why sing, I've got to be completely honest that at the very core of my being, I'm really an instrumentalist. My instrument of choice, as you may have guessed, is the bass. Playing bass is my joyful noise. And yes, I I do sing too, clearly. I sing in the car and I sing songs to my kids at night as I put them to bed and um, we sing our table prayer before our meals and um, I've sung in choirs and obviously I sing here at Salt House. Uh, but just let me say that my mind and heart and soul, like I don't, in, in, in this body here, I don't know that I have a really good reason to, or an answer to what it means to sing for myself. But that said, I do think I have some good thoughts that I want to share with you about why we sing. The Hebrew word ruah, which is mentioned in the Old Testament about 400 times, translates to breath or wind or spirit. So I want to invite you to think about your breath for a moment. Take a breath in, and then let that breath out. (sighs) Maybe like make some noise or like a groan or a sigh. And let it resonate in your body and then echo into the room that you're in. Here's a question. Who made that sound? Where did it come from? Was it you? Was it the breath, the ruah, the spirit that sustains your life? It's not much of a practical point that I'm trying to make, but more of an invitation into a larger perspective that our activity of singing in our entire lives is supported by ruah, this breath we breathe, this animating spirit. When we sing together, we participate in something that extends beyond just the act of making noise. Last week, Sarah talked about the role of the priests in the temple. Part of their job was to direct the noises of creation toward the creator as an act of worship. Praise, gratitude, thanksgiving. When we move together in a unified way with all of our unique noises, in one breath, in the spirit, we enact a, that priestly role and the role of creation orienting toward God in worship. 
And so here's a little bonus for you. Research has shown that singing is actually very, a very healthy together, and singing together, that is. It can boost one's immune system and improve mental and physical health. And, um, well, especially in non-COVID times, where it seems like it's dangerous these days. Uh, when I directed music in California, my friend Dean came to me and he said, I want to join the choir, but I've never sung with a group before. So I encouraged him to uh, join the choir for just one season, and that season was the Christmas season. And I said, go to all the rehearsals, sing on Christmas Eve, and I, I feel like I can pretty much guarantee that you won't get sick over the Christmas holiday like you usually do. And so he did all those things. He went to rehearsals and sang on Christmas Eve, and guess what? He didn't get sick that Christmas. <laughs> Here um, are a few examples of singing as worship in the Bible. The song of Moses in Exodus 15, Mary's song, the Magnificat, in the Gospel of Luke. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 says, Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. There are many examples where the writers exhort readers to sing praise to God. I mean, the whole like, middle section of the Bible, the Psalms, is basically just a collection of songs. And, you know, I found this kind of funny as I was researching this. I, you know, would, I typed in sort of a song, uh, biblical references. And one of the references came up as uh, Genesis 1-1 through Revelation 22-21. Like, that, that's the whole Bible. <laughs> so I just thought that was really kind of a great thing. And so um, I want to invite you now into this part of the sermon, which really focuses in, actually, on Revelation. Um, chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, the writer is writing about a vision that he has of worship in heaven. And it is epic. Listen to this. At once... I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, and a rainbow shone around like an emerald encircled throne. And that's like just the beginning. And so there's all these elders on thrones and lightning and thunder and blazing lamps and living spirits and like a, a sea of glass, magical creatures that looked like an ox or a lion or a human and an eagle with like multiple wings and eyes. And they say day and night, they never stop singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And in the next chapter, <laughs> we see this vision. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, circled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits that God sent into all the earth. So the lamb opens the scroll, which no one had been able to open, and the elders are playing harps, and there's golden bowls of incense burning, which are the prayers of God's people. And then, boom, a new song says, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and from every language and people and nation. 
You have made them to be a kingdom and priests who serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. <laughs> and so, and then like the whole scene turns into something like, like a packed stadium at a U2 concert and everyone is singing together in the name of love. Thousands upon thousands of angels are all these living creatures and the elders. And at this peak moment, the writer shares this last vision with us. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be power and glory and honor forever and ever. And then the four living creatures say, amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Whew. Whew, man. All right, so uh, did you get all that? Isn't that an amazing vision? It's, it's like mind-boggling. It like satisfies all of my like geeky sci-fi fantasy craziness that I love. But I want to like just bring it back down to earth for just a moment in a way that hopefully informs our understanding of what it means to sing together in worship. First, the writer mentions that he was in the spirit. And I love this. It really resonates with the ruah, the breath. We're sustained by this breath of God in our worship. Whether singing or speaking or sighing or moaning or lamenting or complaining or like whatever, it's a gift that has been granted and we are invited to participate. Second, the writer talks about all living creatures, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. The story of God in the Bible ends with all people being brought together in song. It's the final number of the show, and it's so good. It's like the standing ovation, and it's like a world-class party, and everyone's invited. And this is what it looks like for all things to be made new at the end of the story. This is justice, and this is mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation all wrapped up into one big finale. <laughs> and finally, the writer goes on to note how day and night, they never stop. This is an ongoing, perpetual praise machine that has been set in motion by God that will never cease. And I, and I love when the lamb opens the scroll. Uh, this is like Jesus's victory over death, by the way. And the whole thing just elevates. It's, it's a key change. It's a beat drop. And it's, you know, it's the fourth time around of the gospel chorus and the soloist is knocking it out of the park. And like the, the drummer doesn't care how loud he's playing and the rhythm section is just in the pocket. And like the Hammond B3 organ is humming with goodness and wisdom. Like, like the family matriarch, like leaning back in her chair with her fan Eyes closed and a smile on her face, just soaking in the moment. And that moment is ongoing. It has no beginning and it has no end. And that is what we're invited to step into. You see, it's like stepping into a river. 
the river starts somewhere as rain from the heavens on the mountaintops. And it flows along the surface of the earth, carving its way through the rocks and the soil. And eventually it ends up in this endless ocean, only to be invited back to the sky, where it is returned once again to the mountaintop. And it's this endless cycle of movement and praise. I've always felt like music, um, in particular, exists, whether we can hear it or not. And when we participate in music and in worship, it's just like stepping into that river and being carried along by the endless flow of grace and mercy that sustains life. When we sing and worship, it's not really about what we manufacture of our own volition and offer to God, but rather it's about accepting the invitation into the perpetual ongoing praise that all of creation so effortly offers up to God. So uh, here's, um, here's my hope for you and for us here at Salt House. When we sing together that it's from the heart, um, even and especially from a broken heart. When we sing together that we are swept up into the mystery and the movement of the Spirit, the Ruah. When we sing together, we breathe in grace and we breathe out praise. And you know, it, it doesn't really matter what it sounds like. Um, you don't even need to know all the words. You can hum, you can make your own joyful noise. <laughs> and, and, but sometimes when we sing together, I know that sometimes you just gotta sit back and soak it in. And I get that. And when we sing together, like sometimes the song we're singing, like we know it isn't for us, but it's for the ones who can't seem to muster the courage or the will to sing their own song. And so we sing on their behalf. When we sing together, we're invited into remembering that there's so much more happening on earth and in heaven than we can possibly even hold in our minds. When we sing together, we join the rhythm of the saints who've sung these praises long before we were here and will continue to sing long after we're gone. <sighs> Man, like, there are so many other things I could probably say today, but it's time to do something else. So I want to invite you to get ready to sing with me. I'm going to grab a microphone here. Move over here. And I want to sing a song from that passage in Revelation. That is one of my favorite songs to sing. Called We Fall Down. We've sung it before, so... I invite you to step into the river with me as we sing this song together. Jesus 
comes and we all sing.